Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Over the next hour, you'll have the opportunity to listen to Cynthia Hyatt, an internationally recognized therapist and life management expert in private practice with offices in Phoenix and Scottsdale. As a captivating communicator, Cynthia engages, energizes, and inspires her audiences to become all God created them to be. For more information on Cynthia's diverse background, log on to CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Let the next 60 minutes inspire, motivate, and encourage you to become your own best version. Now, here's Cynthia. Well, welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm so glad you joined me today. And I hope that you were able to listen to last week's show. If you're just tuning in this week and haven't, this is part two of the um, shows that we're going to be doing on suicide and euthanasia. And so we ended last week's show talking really all about why people suicide, um, how this happens, what's the process that they go through. And we did a, talked a little bit about euthanasia, but today we're going to really um, finish the euthanasia piece. And we're going to talk about, again, this 13 Reasons Why and the irresponsibility and, and dangerous nature of this show. And I know that there's a lot of people that thought it was good television and good movie. And um, the one thing I want to really help you understand is that This show is giving the impression that the bullying alone is what led this young girl, Hannah, to take her life. And certainly that can be a contributing factor. But there always has to be an issue of mental illness that is is at the bedrock of anyone that suicides. Because people do not suicide when they are in their right mind. It's a very difficult thing to do. I mean, we can sometimes accidentally do it. But the process to go through to actually get to the place that you are going to be able to suicide takes a lot. And it also takes some mental illness. And so we know that mental illness is treatable. And this poor young girl, this could have been treated. And she could have also got some help for the bullying. And we could have healed that. And now her life is over. And she's not here to enjoy how big the ratings of her show are. And so it's a very, very tragic thing when someone uh, commits suicide. And and, and one of the things that counselors are really taking issue with when it comes to the show's entire plot line is that it's, it's a fantasy. It's essentially a fantasy of, of someone who's considering su- suicide. And, and what happens is, especially young people, they don't understand that you really aren't going to be here, that it really is over, and that you can't communicate with people or your loved ones. And, and you're not just a little spirit or a ghost. And so they really have a very um, fantastical way of thinking about suicide. And so they, they think it's going to somehow fix these problems when actually the thing that fixes the problem is staying here with us and letting us correct whatever is going on. So I, I'm glad that, the, that uh, awareness has been raised when it comes to suicide. I think that's, hel- that's very helpful. It is because it's a preventable health concern. This is not a fatal illness, although killing yourself is fatal. But mental illness does not have to be fatal. And so what we really want to look at is that there's ways that we can help this, and there are ways that we can really help the person that is contemplating suicide or is choosing to suicide. So I'm going to talk a little bit about how we help people that 
are wanting to suicide. And so there's, a, there's a, about three ways that we break it down. We break it down into recognizing what are risk factors and warning signs. And you really want to be pay att- paying attention to these. And this could be that, um, that you, make, you want to make a mental note as to whether the person has attempted the suicide in the past. You want to say to this person, have you ever considered suicide? You want to be aware of anyone that knows someone that has recently died, especially from a suicide, because as I've been saying, suicide is extremely contagious. And the death of someone close to them can cause some other people to consider suicide. You want to find out if there's history of suicide in their family and ask them directly if one of their family members have uh, committed suicide. And you want to pay attention as to whether or not the person is a victim of violence or bullying or humiliation, abuse or abandonment, like emotional abandonment, if they're failing in school, if they are um, going through all that, that change in their body that happens in puberty, and maybe a young woman is gaining a lot of weight and she's being um, made fun of at school because she gained weight. And so you want to be alert to maybe a person having a serious illness, such as chronic pain and exhaustion with no end in sight. Uh, sometimes people really f- view suicide as a way to end their pain. So you want to listen for verbal warnings. And that would be someone saying things like, you know, everyone's better off without me, or then they won't have to deal with me. Nobody will even notice if I'm gone. There doesn't seem to be any other other way. Sometimes you'll see someone that has been uh, chronically depressed or um, kind of isolative all of a sudden get in a great mood. And I had this, I talked a little bit last week about one of the patients that I have lost to suicide. And I knew that he was going to follow through with it. No matter what intervention I did, I only was able to meet with him one time. And I think he came into my office simply because his friends begged him to go see a therapist. And so he had decided before he came to see me that this was the way he was going to go. Even though I did all the right interventions and I made him promise that he would come to the next session and I I put him down on the books for the next session, all these different things. We made a contract that he wouldn't do it until he talked to me. But I knew because he was way too happy. He, and he was very disconnected. It, it was very difficult to connect with him emotionally. Intellectually, he could talk, but he was very um, unavailable emotionally. And then he was just in a really happy, kind of flippant mood. And so these are huge warning signs. So you want to also, if someone says it's too late now, I can't go on, there's nothing left to do, What's the use if someone has made a really big mistake, if they've had a failure in a marriage and they feel like they're losing their entire life and they lost their job because of it, these types of things, they feel like, what's the point? So you also, we want to notice emotions. And the, the person that's um, contemplating suicide, you might say to them, you know, how are you doing emotionally? How do you feel? And if they've expressed a sense, like I said, of personal failure or hopelessness of guilt, then, you know, they may seem depressed and anxious or overwhelmed. And if they're crying a lot, upset all the time, we want to make a note of whether they're moody or irritable. Do they get angry at things that don't, haven't really bothered them in the past? And sometimes, like I said, some people seem even calmer and happier than they have been in a while. And we think, oh, maybe they, they worked something out. But this many times means they're looking forward to the end of their pain and suffering. And so we want to look for changes in behavior. And, and we'll see this by 
um, if they're reading or talking a lot about death and suicide, and if they're disinterested in things they used to enjoy, maybe they start giving away a bunch of personal possessions, or they're buying weapons or pills or visiting places like bridges, overpasses, rooftops. And, you know, these th- types of things are, are, are a lot of indicators of people planning a suicide. They're planning where it's going to be because part of the ritual of suicide is that, is that very behavior. You might see them writing very dark poetry, listening to very dark music. And so when you want to stop someone who is suiciding, now always remember, if a person's going to suicide, they're going to do it. I mean, we have people that we have committed to psychiatric wards because of deep depression and suicidal ideations and, and a commitment to suicide. We have them on 15-minute watches, and they have nothing in their room that we would think would allow them to suicide, and somehow they figure out how to hang themselves. And so we know that all the things that we are doing are very helpful and many times stop that terrible um, traverse down to, to death. But many times, really, if a person is going to kill themselves, they are going to do it. And so we want to we ask the person, are you considering a suicide right now? in the next few hours, the next days, in the next weeks. And we ask them if they have a plan. Do you know how you're going to do it? And, and many times people think if we get them talking about it, it makes it worse. And actually it doesn't. Because if you remember in the last show, it's all about connection. When we're connected to people, we will have a much lower ten- tendency to suicide. And so if they can talk to you about what they're thinking, they at least feel connected to you. So you have to keep in mind they may not be honest either about their intent and just consider the signs and the risk factors as well as what they tell you. And so you can use this acronym called CLUES, and it stands for Connect, Listen, Understand, Express Concern, and Seek Help. CLUES. Connect to the person, listen to the person, understand the person, express concern, and seek help. This means... We don't start giving them a bunch of Bible verses about how, how God feels and why we shouldn't do this. And, and we, we don't want to get into a bunch of intellectual conversations and debates about suicide. We also don't want to, in any way, shape, or form, guilt or shame them about these feelings. Because if you do, their tendency will be to move closer to suicide and farther away from you. And so we want to connect with a person. We want to listen to them. We want to understand how they feel. We don't want to judge how they feel. We don't want to tell them all the great things they have in their life and why they shouldn't feel that way. We want to express our deep concern that we do not want them to do that. We love them. We will miss them. Life will not be the same without them. They matter. They matter to us. And, and if there's things that need to be apologized, apologize for things. And then you certainly seek help for this person. And, and this, is, this is very important because one of the hardest things is we don't want to embarrass somebody. Maybe we're embarrassed as well. Maybe in our family it feels shameful that someone would feel that way. And so there's a lot of reasons that cause us to not want to go tell somebody. And, and we don't want to cry wolf, right? We don't want to be, quote-unquote, dramatic people. But I want you to understand this is very dramatic. And it can, will turn into something very traumatic if we're not careful So you don't ever play games with this. You always err on the side of caution. And so if you hear someone making any of these statements or doing any of these behaviors, you take it very seriously. And you don't just say to yourself, well, they're just being dramatic. They're just wanting attention. 
There's a lot of other ways to get attention. And so it's very important that we listen, that we notice, that we connect with these people, that you assess their level of intent. You ask them very direct questions. You say, are you going to commit suicide? Is it today, tomorrow, next week, a month? Do you have a date? Do you have a way? Do you know, you, can you tell me why, what, what you're feeling, what's going on with you? All these things help to connect. So when we come back in this next segment, we're going to talk about supporting the person over time. So let's say they, that person close to you, that they let you know that. And so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how to help this person over time, not just over that one issue. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment. Make sure you visit the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. And you can also listen to the podcasts on Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud. Well, welcome back. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and thank you for joining me. If you're just joining me right now, I want to make sure that you know you can listen to these shows in their entirety on my website. That website always has the most current shows, and that's at CynthiaHyatt.com. You can, you can also find them on SoundCloud and Stitcher and iTunes. And last week, we started this. We're doing a two-part series here on suicide. So I want to make sure, if you didn't hear last week, that you go ahead and listen to that show as well. And we left off in the last segment about how we're going to support the person over time. And so this is very important. When you find out that someone is wanting to suicide or they're having what we call suicidal ideations, which is things like, um, I can't make it anymore, it doesn't matter, I don't know how to live, or what if I was dead? What would that be like? And imagining how people would feel about them after they were dead and imagining what their funeral would look like, um, who would get all of their things, what would people say. Suicidal ideations are thinking all about the event. And so when, when we are supporting someone over time, after we have found that, that, that they are wanting or, or inter- they, are, they are somehow experiencing these thoughts and entertaining these thoughts, we want to sh- make sure that we let someone close to them know. So sometimes people that are contemplating suicide don't tell anyone that they are close to. So you want to make sure that you find someone that they are close to and that that person knows. And th- that, that way, the person then has a support team looking out for them and trying to prevent this suicide, and the stress isn't only on your shoulders. If the person is under the age of 18, you have to tell an adult. You have to tell an adult, a caregiver, um, anyone that is in the medical field, you have to tell someone. And so you can tell the person, hey, I don't want to make you mad, but we need help on this. I'm going to tell coach, or I'm, I'm going to tell aunt so-and-so, or I'm going to tell you know our favorite teacher, what, what, or, or our youth group leader. So it's really important that we, when we say to the person, we can even say, you know, I'm, I'm not going to necessarily mention suicide. I'm just going to say we have some emotional stuff we need help with. And this can help that person. And in the meantime, you want to be talking at length about the feelings that they are having, like they want to die. They don't know how, if they can live any longer. So you don't have to necessarily use the suicide word. If the person is being abused by someone, do not tell the abuser. 
Instead, talk to somebody else that is, that is um, any other adult that you can find. And so we're going to set up a safety plan. And that means setting up a plan in advance for handling suicide attempts or signs that the person is going to suicide. This way, everyone on the support team will know what to do. And there's a lot of suicide prevention safety plans from, uh, you, that you can find online. You can also go to Suicide Prevention Lifeline website. And then you want to include a list of people that are going to check on this person and important phone numbers. And you're going to include the person when you're making the plan if possible and obviously have some professional help. Then you're going to check in frequently with them daily if you want, a couple times a day. You want to say to them, I'm going to check with you until I'm just bugging you to death because I just want you to stay here. I just want you to be here. And so you make sure that other people in the support team are checking on the person. And checking on the person doesn't have to be this big, serious thing. It can just say, hey, you want to go get a cup of coffee? want to go get some yogurt? And you don't always have to ask, are you thinking about suicide every time you get together? But you do want to be on the lookout for the warning signs we've talked about. You want to really encourage healthy living. One way to prevent a suicide is to encourage the person to do things that will help keep them healthy in general. Encourage them to eat well, get sleep, get physical activity, socialize. You know, suggest activities that you can do together, like hiking or biking or going to yoga, these types of things. Buy the person a journal so they can express their feelings instead of just holding all of them in. And then you want to make sure that you take really good care of yourself because trying to prevent a suicide can be physically, emotionally, and mentally draining on you. And then we want to recognize, you know, some emotional abuse. And this is a little touchy to talk about, but I want you to realize if someone threatens suicide as a way to get you to do what they want, whether you believe them or not, this is emotional abuse. And you are not responsible for someone choosing suicide. This should never be some kind of a bargaining tool. It should never be a way to blackmail people. It should never be a way to control anybody. And so you want to really make sure you call for help with this person that is doing this and that you let them know you're going to tell people that, or, or someone, you're going to tell um, another adult, a medical, um, um, anyone in the medical field that they are threatening suicide if you don't do what they want them to do. So I hope that was helpful. We are, we are getting close to the end of the, of the, sh- the half-hour break here. So I want you to know that we are going to open that next, next part of the show with the definition of euthanasia. We are going to talk very briefly about euthanasia. And this is defined as the act or method of causing death painlessly so as to end suffering And it's advocated by some as a way to deal with persons dying of incurable and painful diseases. So we know what euthanasia really is. We also know that there's there's a lot of of ways that this has gone on in history, and a lot of ways we are doing this now. There's a lot of states that are advocating to make it legal. There are countries that have made it legal. Parts of the United Kingdom have made it legal, up through the uh, Netherlands and some of Europe. And so... You know, there are very few references in the Bible to mercy killing and, or, or euthanasia. And if there is, the, the uh, participants were usually not Jewish or Christian. And so, you know, there is a maybe possible example of might be the Roman soldiers who broke the legs of those hanging on the cross to quicken their dying process. However, you know, I'm not sure if that was considered mercy killing it. The Roman Empire and army was never known for anything close to mercy or grace. So it may have just been more about getting on with the next uh, 
crucifixions and getting people off those crosses and new people put on. I'm not sure. I, I'm, I wasn't able to do as much uh, research as I wanted to on that, but I have not seen a whole lot of it. And so understanding that euthanasia is this act of deliberately ending a person's life to relieve their suffering. This would be for people with uh, terminal cancer. Um, and this is, this is usually a, a terminal illness, and that's why we want to make the distinction between suicide and euthanasia. Euthanasia is always done because the person is not going to survive whatever has happened to them. And suicide means I don't want to live the life that I have. So they kind of can seem close, but the, the, the true um, definition of euthanasia is someone with an incurable disease, not necessarily an injury that can't be fixed. Uh, and that's not, we don't use that for paraplegics or quadriplegics, these types of, of um, injuries. So there is a legal position because both active euthanasia and assisted suicide are illegal under English law. And so it depends on circumstances. Euthanasia is usually regarded as either manslaughter or murder, and it is punishable by law. So we have different types of euthanasia that I'm going to talk about in this next segment. And there's active and there's passive. And the active euthanasia is where the person deliberately intervenes to end someone's life. For example, interjecting them, injecting them with large doses of sedatives. Passive is when a person causes death by withholding or withdrawing treatment that's necessary. This is some what happens in uh, hospice. And I'm not saying that hospice is doing any kind of euthanasia, but that's part of the dying process is letting that person die. So we are at the end of the first half of the show. Make sure you join me in the next segment. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia, and we will finish talking about euthanasia and more about why not to suicide and how we can help these people. Make sure you look at the website at CynthiaHyatt.com, and I'll talk to you in the next segment. Well, welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and you are joining me today as we talk about this issue of suicide and what this really means and, and how we can really help people that are struggling with suicidal ideations and thoughts or are doing parasuicidal um, behaviors. Th these are things like many times um, people that have active addiction, some of that's a parasuicidal behavior. They do, you know, they do high risk taking, they drink and drive, these types of things. And so it, it's talking about this idea when it comes to suicide or people struggling to live, not knowing how to live, not wanting to live, that we always have to recognize there is a mental illness because nobody in their right mind kills themselves. That's, that's not how it works. This is one of the reasons we do not want to judge people that have suicided and assumed that they are not in heaven. We don't know that. Because we understand that when people suicide, they're not thinking correctly. It's close to being insane. It's a, and I'm not saying they are insane, but I want you to understand what it means in the brain to be able to somehow contemplate and follow through with suicide. Because our bodies are hardwired to live. They are committed to living for us. So we talked about the legal position of euthanasia. And in English law here, it is, it is illegal. There are some states that are legalizing it, and I believe, um, 
I'm not sure off the top of my head the one state that, that are. So we have the active and passive euthanasia, and we have voluntary euthanasia. This is where a person makes a conscious decision to die and asks for help with this. We also have non-voluntary, and this is where the person is unable to give consent, maybe because they're in a coma or they're severely brain damaged, and another person makes that decision on their behalf. And so we also have involuntary euthanasia, and this is where a person is actually killed against their expressed wishes. And they say, no, I want to keep living, I want to fight. And the people around them are saying, we can't stand to see you suffering. Um, and so depending on the circumstances, voluntary and non-voluntary euthanasia can be certainly regarded as, as manslaughter. And so people do get, um, very, there's a lot of legal involvement when this occurs. And so it's always regarded as a murder at, at some level. And so there's arguments used for both supporters and opponents of it. And you can really research that yourself. But there is also, when we look at end-of-life care, and this is where hospice is involved, and this is the person is deciding they are going to let themselves die naturally, and they're not going to intervene. And so the um, only medical intervention comes in making the end of their life more comfortable. And usually morphine is the drug of choice for them at that point. Now, you want to think about the reason that we would euthani not euthanize humans, that, that if as Christians we would say suicide and euthanasia, and I'm not saying all the time because my sister just passed away from a very, very painful, ugly three and a half years of cancer. And it was brutal to watch, and it was very painful to see her body continue to hang on in spite of just the, the, it falling apart. And it was a very traumatic time for my family. And so the euthanasia issue does come up. Now, my family, we did not do that. We, she decided to die naturally, and so it was a very painful process. And, and God was very sweet in the end, thank, thankfully. But we do euthanize pets and animals that are in our care. And this is important to understand why we would do this. They're in our care, and we don't want them to have unnecessary suffering when they have no way to comprehend suffering. You see, animals understand hardship, and they get stronger many times because of it. They don't understand suffering. So they don't have that third brain, that prefrontal lobe. And so there's no rising above. There's no self-actualization for them, no transformative type of thing. There, there's nothing profound for a pet or any domestic animal or animals in the wild that, that just suffer. And so part of the responsibility we have to animals is to protect them from unnecessary and unnatural suffering that may come about due to either our own ignorance, our greed, our laziness, our selfishness, or our attachment. And so what you want to think about is there's a very different process. They have a very different brain and a different experience of the world than we do. And God has put those animals and, and the planet within our care. And so I don't want anyone to think that euthanasia for animals is immoral, because it is not. Now, willful killing of animals unnecessarily, absolutely. But we want to really have the mind of God, the heart of God, when we are thinking about these life issues, because life is so important to God. It is the whole thing that motivated Jesus to come was so that we could have life. And so he takes life very seriously. 
and it means everything to him. So join me in this last segment as we talk more about suicide and spiritually what it really means. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the last part of this show. Welcome back, and thank you again for joining me. This is Cynthia Hyatt, and you're listening to Conversations with Cynthia. And today and last week, we have been talking on very serious topics of suicide and euthanasia. And so I want to make sure that if you're just tuning in, that you can listen to both of these shows in its entirety. And you can find them on my website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That is C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. And you can find them on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher as well. So always appreciate when you email me and let me know what topics you also would like me to address. And if you are looking for a keynote speaker, I love to do that for you. And I can tailor make any presentation or um, lecture for your particular group. So we left off talking about this idea of euthanizing pets and that that is part of our responsibility as caretakers for God's world to not allow for unnecessary suffering for, for, for domestic animals or pets. Uh, they do not have that third brain that we have, which, which is um, a higher functioning brain. They are very much in the here and now, and they do not understand suffering. And so it doesn't cause them to be a more profound or noble or deeper animal. It just is abusive to them. So we do euthanize pets. We don't want them to have unnecessary and unnatural suffering. And so there are, I want you to understand that in the Bible, there are, I did find seven examples of suicide. And this, the first one was Abimelech, and he called hastily, this is Judges 9, 54, chapter 9, verse 54, He called hastily unto the young man his armor-bearer and said to him, Draw thy sword and slay me, that men may not say of me a woman slew me. And his young man thrust him through, and then he died. We have Samson. This was a suicide. He said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed with all his might, and the house fell upon all the people that were therein. And we have Saul. uh, Samuel 31, uh, verse 4 says, Saul took his sword and fell on it. And then in the following verse, when Saul's armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his own sword and died. And we have another. Athapothel saw that his counsel was not followed. He got, um, got him home to his house, to his city. He put his house in order. He hanged himself, and he died. And then we have Zimri that when the city was taken, he went into the place of the king's house, burnt the king's house over him with fire, and died. And then, of course, our last one, which is the most egregious and sad, and this is Judas. He cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. So there is much controversy in the Christian world regarding euthanasia, mercy killing, and seeing both murder Um, some go as far as to say that suicide and euthanasia are are unforgivable, and especially suicide is unforgivable because people don't have time to repent. So I want you to kind of think about that line of thinking. How how many people have time to repent if they are killed immediately in a car wreck? 
or a bomb goes off, or they have a heart attack. How many people are unable to repent of their sins um, if, if they are in a plane crash or something to this degree? And so you, you want to be very careful when you are saying things are unforgivable, because truly the, the, most un, the unforgivable sin is rejecting the Holy Spirit and, and rejecting Jesus, rejecting God. And so, I mean, there's a lot more to it than that, but I want you to know that and be comforted in knowing that that we as Christians, when we begin to disagree on doctrine and we begin to fight about doctrine, because we cannot agree on how to interpret the Bible, that usually means it's too lofty for us to comprehend. And we should let that be in God's hands. And we want to be praying for all the people that are in our lives and for ourselves that we do the best that we can and we give God our best, knowing that we will always need his grace And so the safest stance, if someone suicides, is that of grace and mercy. You and I were not in their shoes. And we may think we know what we would do, but we really don't until we get there. And I pray you will not have to be confronted with that decision for yourself or that of a loved one. And so realizing that no one is in their right mind, no one commits suicide in their right mind, it's very easy to judge these behaviors until you find yourself in the situation and feel that suicide is your only and our best option. Or if you have a family member or friend that has committed suicide, you and I both know it's just not that simple. And we are counting on the fact that God knew that day would happen for this person and his grace was sufficient. The most disturbing thing about the, the series, 13 Reasons Why, is the contagious aspect of it. Suicide is very contagious, especially among young people. It gives a tacit permission for everybody else to do it as well. Whatever was holding back other people from suiciding, if someone they know and love suicides, all of a sudden it opens the door and makes it a little more palatable, makes it maybe a little more negotiable. So it's, it's a horrible thing to have shown this, this, this whole entire series of why this young girl committed suicide. And so we've always depended on the cultural belief that suicide is not an option. What, what happened here? What happened? In our well-intentioned attempt to not want people in pain or to shame them, we've slowly given permission and acceptance to this terrible option for a very complicated problem. There is no comeback from suicide. Death is permanent. And we should delay it as long as possible. How many times did you feel you wouldn't make it to the next moment, that your situation was unlivable? The verse John 10.10 is extremely poignant. The enemy of our soul hates us. Satan hates this world and everything that God has made. He takes our love for each other, our love for God's creation, and our love for God very personally. It's offensive to Satan when we love. Offensive. He is insane in his hatred of everything good. And so this verse, John 10.10, says, The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Suicide is one of his favorites. Because it goes against the heart of God's creation. Our bodies are hardwired to live, even if our soul is weary of life. One of the most, interestingly enough, frustrating and maddening outcomes for many people who have attempted suicide is that their body lived. They couldn't kill it, and they were still here. And so doctors and trauma surgeons 
depend on our body's commitment to live. This is one of the most difficult parts of the euthanasia issue, is when a person is ensconced with such a horrible physical battle with a fatal disease, and they are faced with the truth that there's no recovery, and they say, why won't my body just die? Why am I still here trapped in a body that will not acquiesce to death? And it is very difficult to watch. I mentioned in the last segment that my sister went through this, and where euthanasia was not an option for our family or for her, it was a very painful process to see her in a body that would not acquiesce to death. And, and so you have to understand, these areas are really God's alone. They are God's choice. God has destiny. He planned everything. And so he may not plan a terrible disease for someone to die from, but he does know the day they will die. And so the hardest part is when life interrupts the process God originally had for us. And that is always a trust issue with God. We have to trust he's a good God and that he has been through everything we could possibly experience down here and more. And he has lived to tell about it and he came to give us life. And so because of all this controversy, we want to think about what, what does the Bible mean when, we are, when it says we are not to judge? Because it's very easy to judge these behaviors, right? Until you find yourself in the situation or a family member. And you, say, you can say all kinds of things about that person and why they shouldn't have done it. But the answer is Jesus commands not to judge others. This is one of the ones that is most wildly, widely quoted by him. And Jesus says, do not judge or you too will be judged. That's Matthew verse seven, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. And so many people use this as an attempt to silence critics or in, interpret it as meaning you don't have the right to tell me I'm wrong. And this is, not, this is not what Jesus is saying. The heart of this is we can judge behaviors, but we cannot judge intent and we cannot judge a person's heart. So we can all say and all agree that suicide is wrong. Suicide is bad. We don't want anyone to suicide. But to say that they shouldn't have, that they were, they're sinners because of it, or they were whatever aspersions we want to cast on their character, this is where God says, we are not to judge what's going on inside that person. We are not in their body, in their mind, in their heart, in their soul, experiencing their life. And so the Bible's command that we do not judge, again, doesn't mean we don't show discernment. Jesus gives us permission to tell right from wrong. And I would certainly prefer that in circumstances filled with this amount of pain and suffering, that we focus more on compassion and mercy as a way to encourage the person suffering to continue to seek God. The more mercy and grace and understanding and kindness I show someone, that is contemplating suicide, the more advantage I have in keeping them. They will stay here longer because I am now alleviating some pain for them. And they are anyone that kills themselves is in excruciating pain of some type, whether it's psychological pain, emotional pain, circumstances have caused them pain, mistakes have caused them pain, whatever it is, People don't kill themselves when they're happy. So we want, it, we want to 
certainly encourage the person suffering to seek God. And that's one of the ways we help them to do that, is to be Jesus to them, not a judge. And so th- this, this whole thing, if we overtly judge and condemn someone when, when, when they are in that much pain, we will only alienate them from us and possibly alienate them from God as well, especially if they think we're a Christian and we treat them in that way. This is very serious. It's a very serious thing to God. He takes it very personally. When we attempt to do his job, of turning people away from their sin. And in the process, we impede their ability to get to him. So we love that verse in Mark. It says, do not suffer the little children. These are God's children. Do not cause them to not go to God. Don't get in their way of getting to God by your judgment. And so if your heart is right, God will have a much better ability to help you help the loved one than if you are bound up with all your painful and upset feelings and your judgment. So what we want to think about is Jesus gave a direct command to stop judging by mere appearances. And so we have different types of judgment. There's superficial, we have hypocritical judgment, harsh and unforgiving judgment, self-righteousness, untrue judgment. We have several verses, Luke 6.37, do not judge, you'll be judged. Luke 6.41, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but fail to notice the beam in your own? And it goes on and on with all these different. So what I want you to think about is that that people do not suicide in their right minds. And this is where it's important. that uh, You know, death is part of the living process, and God very much accepts our state. He knows that part of living is dying, but not taking life in our own hands. And so sin was invited into this world and death came, and therefore death is a consequence. The wages of sin is death, and we will die in one way or another. But God in his mercy and grace has made a consequence as an antidote. And I want to read, I want you to read Psalms 116, 1 through 6, because it tells us very specifically that the Lord it hears our voice and our cry for mercy, and he protects the children like faith. When we are facing death, He saves us. Have a great week. Make sure you look at the website at CynthiaHyatt.com and blessings to you. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. We'd like to remind listeners that this show isn't a replacement for professional counseling or therapy. The messages and teachings shared during this show are given as a way to teach listeners with ideas and insights about how to become your own best version. Cynthia is available as a keynote or guest speaker for corporate or spiritual events. To contact Cynthia, go to CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear a replay at any time at FaithTalk1360.com. Join us again next Sunday at 4 p.m. for Conversations with Cynthia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ.